0: Make sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects and uh, you're not impolite to people.
1: No, definitely not, Dad. You know me, I'm never, <laughs> ever controversial or yeah, impolite.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay.
1: Welcome to conversations with your lovable, never pisses anyone off, ex-Muslim host, Aina keeping it non-controversial hello hello goblins and ghouls it's that time of year again Time for me to stock up on bat and skull-shaped trinkets to keep me going for the next 12 months. And to be very clear, that's skull-shaped as in dark, macabre Halloween stuff. Not skull-shaped as in I appreciate skull shapes in the uh, Quillette sense. (laughs) I mean, I have a lot of skull stuff, magnets and mugs and earrings and things, but... I'm not a skull-shaped connoisseur in that way, if you know what I mean. And it sucks that I have to clarify this now. Fucking phrenologists have ruined skulls for everyone. (sighs) Well, as always, if you enjoy the show, please do consider supporting via Patreon. Every little bit helps keep it going. These episodes require research, listening to IDW content till my ears bleed so you don't have to, clipping, editing, recording, writing, all of which my wonderful patrons make possible. So if you would like to join the best patrons ever... To help the show survive and thrive, head on over to patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes and make it happen. There's rewards in it for you and access to early releases and exclusive content, occasional patron chats and AMAs. Now, if you dare, follow me right
0: this
1: way. into episode 57. <laughs> The Halloween episode of Polite Conversations. Or should I say...
2: Spooky Conversations.
1: And, unfortunately, this will not be the cute and kitschy kind of spooky. This will be some... Mind-numbing, blood-curdling, torturous galaxy brain, skeptospheric stuff. So pour yourself a seasonal beverage, perhaps a glass of blood, blood, or even spookier, if you're Jordan Peterson, a glass of apple cider. (laughs) I've got a warm fire going, And it's fueled by the IDW's burning hatred of diversity and feminism. So you know it's burning bright and hot. And it's also a renewable resource. (laughs) Uh, So we're all settled in and cozy now. Let's chat about some of the recent rational scene horror stories then. One I still can't shake off is uh, my favorite pseudo-intellectual Scam Harris saying that white supremacy is just fringe of the fringe. Something I discussed and broke down at length in my previous episode. Do check it out if you haven't yet. And thanks to everyone who listened, supported, and shared it. That was an important one, I think. Uh, So yeah, thanks for getting the word out there, guys. Um, But yeah. Yeah. Very shortly after I released that episode discussing Sam's strange insistence that white supremacy is really something very fringe and obscure and totally not a big deal, us Canadians were tossed a little story about our prime minister to a black and brown face on different occasions. Not once, not twice, but he actually said he didn't know how many times. Not back in the 80s or 90s when he was a silly kid, but in the early 2000s when he was an educator himself. And we just had our elections, so this one's been on my mind quite a bit. Now, Trudeau I know isn't part of the skeptosphere, yet. I'm still waiting for his Joe Rogan-type Netflix special called Triggered. You know, since he was harshly criticized for blackface and all, he's got to make that anti-left pivot sooner or later, right? (laughs) I kid, I kid. Thankfully, he has not gone that route. However, I couldn't help but see this story through a skeptic scene lens, considering how so many of the large figures spend time downplaying or denying the seriousness of white supremacy and racism in today's political climate. And because of how the genius brain atheist scene is really a predictive microcosm of the far-right stuff that's about to crop up in the mainstream. You've noticed that too, right? Whatever nasty stuff the mainstream media is covering about alt-right tactics and far-right figures and talking points and its softer radicalizers and sanitizers, we in or adjacent to movement atheism have been exposed to and dealing with for ages already probably because of the overlaps in the anti-left, anti-feminist, anti-SJW stuff, and the criticisms of Islam that quickly turn into scary, great-replacement-type fears. So, yeah, I couldn't help but see this story, specifically in relation to what the great and infallible Sam Harris had told me through his podcast recently. That white supremacy was very, 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 very fringe in the civilized West, and that it certainly didn't have the same legitimacy and standing in the culture as jihadism did in Muslimic culture. I mean, blackface. The literal usage of someone's skin color as part of a costume for casual entertainment without a single thought given to how this has been used in degrading supremacist ways in the past. What is it, if not a perfect example, of how white supremacy has many forms outside of a white hood, a pepe flag, or a swastika tattoo, and how it comes in different degrees, some of which have been normalized to the extent that they can be seen, to this day, as harmless, playful fun. Trudeau painted not just his face, but his hands and knees, too, on some occasions. Now, how was I to reconcile this prime minister browning up his face with Galaxy Brain Sam's words?
3: The fringe of the fringe.
1: Is the Canadian prime minister... A fringe figure? Uh, Is the blatantly racist unable to properly condemn the KKK and Charlottesville Nazis in a clear and swift manner president of Sam's country? Fringe of the fringe? Or could it be that Harris is maybe embarrassingly wrong? Oh, the horror! Imagine the thought! (laughs) In seriousness though, when it came to the whole blackface Trudeau thing, my take was basically the same take I have for all the edgelords and comedians that have dabbled in these types of controversial things. If someone realizes they made a mistake or that their views were wrong and they address it and they genuinely, wholeheartedly apologize for it, I really don't see why we can't accept that apology. I mean, whomst among us has not done brown or blackface at least three to 29 times, right? (laughs) Again, I kid. Most of us, I assume, have not done this, and uh, there really is no excuse for it. Uh, As late as 2001, and as a fucking adult teacher... Jesus, But in different ways and to different degrees, many of us have had bad, cringeworthy takes, had cringeworthy Halloween costumes. As the world progresses, our values evolve, and what once seemed acceptable to us no longer does anymore. People do change and regret things, and that's okay. That's progress. Acknowledging previous bad views and actions is a good thing it should be encouraged. But that demonstrated change and genuine acknowledgement are an important part of that process. Not like you do a vague non-pology because you were ratioed on Twitter, but then you carry on with the same types of takes afterwards. No, definitely not that. I mean, I'll accept Trudeau's apology, sure, and I don't think he's a purposeful, malicious racist in the regular sense of the term, but that's just it, right? It's indicative of just how deep we're in, just how far white supremacy spreads its tentacles. In all its shapes and sizes. Trudeau's sense of social justice has been performative and shallow, and about cool photo ops rather than understanding what real advocacy is. He seems to be, as he himself acknowledges, someone who grew up in such a privileged bubble with such little thought or regard for the feelings of people so different from him that this seemed like an okay thing for him to do in adulthood." It's mind-boggling, it really is, and I don't understand the excuse-makers. We should really all know better now than to make excuses for black or brownface, the caricaturing and the flattening of someone's culture and people like that, and the harmful real-world effects it can have. And the wider context, the history of blackface and minstrelsy in particular. And the history of Orientalism too. So... Despite the unforgiving SJW caricature my opponents may paint of me, as I've already mentioned, I think people who address their past mistakes and views should not be held accountable for them forever. But what I particularly don't understand about the IDW, and that's short for the Intellectual Dark Web, by the way, a cringe name that this collection of anti-left types have chosen for themselves I'm sticking this in there because I got a complaint uh, that not everyone knows that acronym. So yeah, my bad. I shouldn't assume that everyone knows what the IDW is. Uh, So there it is. But as I was saying, what I don't understand about the IDW type takes on blackface are that they find the left awful and unforgiving and smug for ever even wanting to initiate a conversation about blackface at all. Free speech is totally over if someone gets criticized for doing blackface on a campus Halloween party. This is why Trump will get reelected. Why can't these miserable SJWs let people have a little fun, huh? Ugh, their approach to this is ridiculous. These things need to be addressed and these conversations need to be had. It's how change happens. It's almost like they don't want that change to happen. Like they're threatened by uppity minorities demanding dignity and respect. Respect that goes beyond the very basic literalist, well, you're equal under the law, so what are you complaining about? Talk you hear coming from those slimy corners of the internet. Almost like the term regressive they use for the left is a projection. It was pretty funny, however, in this whole Trudeau scandal to see right-wingers and IDWers struggling to choose between defending the blackface as they usually do and hating on Trudeau as they also love to do. Suddenly, blackface was offensive to this group. (laughs) What a bunch of cucks. (laughs) So yeah, that was the main one I wanted to talk about. But Sam's been out there saying some other ridiculous shit too lately. Surprise, surprise. I can hardly keep up. In a clip of his recent conversation with Chelsea Handler, he was polishing up the old turd of traditional gender roles. I mean, how many of these fools can we apply the was this said by a solifist mullah or IDW genius brain question two. It's getting to be quite a lot of them. Get a load of this.
2: You can definitely find economists and academics who will show you data that argues that the so-called wage disparity between men and women, and these the differences in career types and in representation, is the result of, one, a significant asymmetry in just what it takes to raise kids and the norms around that, and one could argue the norms we want to keep around that, right? I mean, my wife has had much more responsibility raising our kids than I have, and, you know, it's not to say that that couldn't have been flipped in some world, but... Frankly, our kids are better off that we didn't flip it. You know, it's, it's just she's, she's a better mom than I would have been. And that's not to say I'm not super involved, but there's a difference. And the difference starts with our biology, right? It's not, you know, there are hormonal differences between men and women that are relevant here. You know, testosterone is good for some things, and it's not so good for other things. It starts with our biology. Norms we want to keep.
1: And look. There's nothing wrong with a mom choosing to be a primary caregiver. It's the whole, but it's just biology. And the whole, one could argue, these are norms we want to keep, thing that I find incredibly concerning. This is also pretty much like the arguments you hear from religious fundies, ironically, who would use this talking point to either say that it's a woman's job to stay home and raise kids, or to push the idea that same-sex parents, dads in particular, couldn't possibly provide the same quality of care that a traditional family, that is, a mother and a father, would be able to, because biology. It's just science, guys. It's such dangerous backwards BS that they're popularizing again, wrapped up as logic and reason and science. It's its incredibly sinister shit. He also brought out this classic. What can I say?
2: So I want to find the genius who invented this meme. But the idea that the, some of my best friends are black defense is not only a bad defense, but a sign of racism. That's bullshit, right? If but that so,
1: shouldn't be your defense. If you if you're not a racist, that shouldn't be your defense. Your defense should be yourself and your behavior, not the fact that but, you have people who but that's a
2: that's a you super, may or may
1: not have duped into being friends with you.
2: No, no, but that's a super salient part of your behavior, right? So if like. Some of your best friends are black. You're white. And some of your best, best friends are black. Let's just track the meanings of these words, right? Best friends. Just how racist are you going to be?
1: Ugh. Okay. Enough of Sam for now. Let's move on to another recent horrific skeptic tale. What was it now? Ah, yes. The rehabilitation of accused sexual predator David Silverman. Based on no additional concrete proof from what I can tell, just him saying he didn't do it. Talking about stuff like how he didn't understand power dynamics all the way back in 2012.
4: Okay, the power dynamic issue was is real. And that's why I sh- That's why, when, when she comes back and says, I felt I couldn't say no. I mean, yes, I can get mad and say I didn't tell you that, I didn't suggest that. I made no. But the point is that the power dynamic issue was real. She was young. I was in power. She wanted a job, and I knew it. It was wrong. So the part, So this is, there's two allegations. For the first one, you're saying part of it is right. The part of it is not. The part that is not right is that she didn't look. She wasn't drunk. But the part that you acknowledged that it was wrong and that you made a mistake was taking advantage of the power dynamic. Yeah, I I, I guess taking advantage of the power dynamic is a fair assessment. Um,
1: I was, you know, it was 2012. We didn't understand power dynamics back then. I certainly didn't. Or how one of his accusers was coming on to him, how she initiated the flirting. I'm not sure how that's relevant because... You can, in fact, flirt with someone and change your mind, or not give consent to other actions.
4: Now, she initiated it, okay? She initiated that power dynamic issue. She pursued me, starting from before lunch to through and after dinner. Mm. So she created that. She was an adult. She wasn't drunk the whole day. Mm. Um, So she bears some responsibility for that, too. But I take my responsibility. Uh, I should not have said
2: yes. Uh, I should not have done that. And maybe that was a fireable offense in and of itself.
4: Maybe it was. Right. But she wasn't drunk. I did not take advantage of a person who could not consent.
1: And in this interview, there was a lot of what seemed to be him muddying the waters, hiding behind BDSM as an excuse for what we've been told by the accuser is non-consensual sexual aggression. Now, it's true that none of us except the accused and accuser were in the room, so we'll never really know what exactly happened there, and that's why so many abusers get away with sexual abuse, because it is one person's word against another, and also why so many victims don't speak up about it, because they fear not being believed, as there are usually no witnesses to such private abuse. But from corroborations in the past, and detailed articles, and multiple accusers, I certainly wouldn't be rushing to take Silverman's own word that he didn't do it, especially considering his recent behavior. And despite him even admitting to some things like, oh, we didn't understand the power dynamics thing back then, and I apologize for that. um, Despite all that, there have been appearances on podcasts and interviews and defenses and people happily plugging his crowdfunding, trying to get support for him all from those who criticize the religious for rallying around their accused sexual predators. The hypocrisy in this scene knows no bounds. Despite his sexual misconduct allegations, he has even been appointed as Executive Director of Atheist Alliance International. And not only that, but it seems the position was created just for him. As Hemat Mehta from The Friendly Atheist put it in his piece, quote, As far as I can tell, he's the first person to hold this title for the group and possibly the first salaried staffer they've ever had. Nice, eh? Real rational stuff. So, yeah, in the past couple of months, Silverman's been doing the anti-SJW online right-wing YouTube circuit thing while still claiming that he's actually a real feminist. He even went on Sargon's channel, you know, Sargon of a cad of the I-wouldn't-even-rape-you notoriety, the rabidly anti-feminist guy who blamed the fucking feminist system for Elliot Rogers' murderous rampage. Remember, Sargon's the guy who was too disgusting and embarrassing for Nigel Farage, even. That guy. Not the person you want to be palling around with if you want any credibility at all, or if you want to seriously convince people you've been falsely accused of sexual misconduct. And one of his interviews, the one I just played clips from, was with one of the very worst prominent ex-Muslims out there, Armin Navabi. This is the guy who runs Atheist Republic which I've seen on Twitter beautifully and rightfully described as the turning point USA of atheism, an utter clown show. Armin is the guy who claims that Judaism is worse than Nazism, something Silverman has extensively and vocally defended him on, saying it's a valid point, so naturally Armin is repaying the favor now. Armin has also claimed that, and I quote, more people have been tortured due to the influence of Jewish doctrine by having their genitals mutilated than the number of people harmed by Nazism. Thankfully, more and more people are abandoning this barbaric ideology. End quote. It's not Nazism he's describing as barbaric here. So, yeah. Just horrific, ludicrous stuff. I'm a critic of circumcision and of religion myself, but this vile analogy should be enough to tell anyone with half a brain what kind of awful, hate-filled, dangerous person they're dealing with. Again, not someone you want to ally with if you want to regain credibility under normal circumstances. But hey, in the atheist scene, our standards are so low that it's all good. As long as you sufficiently bash religion, that's all that matters. You don't even have to bash it intelligently, clearly. So in this interview with Armin, who is totally not a right-wing anti-feminist MRA type or anything, uh, David was really only harshly challenged and criticized multiple times for one thing. That thing being uh, that in the past, Silverman has said to believe women this the rational genius interviewer could not tolerate and had to call him out on. Something as outrageously offensive as believe women? You gotta shame people for that in the galaxy brain community. You see, here we criticize religion because of how its adherents treat women and victims of sexual abuse, because of how sexual predators are protected, all without a shred of self-awareness. And... This isn't the first or only time either. It was the same thing with Krauss. You can go back and listen to my two-part panel episode on that if you want a refresher. It was the same types of people that rallied around him, praised him, invited him on their shows, vocally defended him, minimized what he did, and it's happening again today with Silverman. What an embarrassing train wreck of a scene. Okay, Another one on my high IQ horror story list is the Neil deGrasse Tyson appearance on Ben Shapiro's fucking show. Just before Ben Shapiro was trending for saying some deranged sounding stuff about picking up a gun if people try to teach his kids about LGBT inclusivity.
0: You want a culture war in this country? You want this country to come apart that seems this is how you do it. Because I promise you, if you come to tell me that you're going to indoctrinate my kids in particular policy and that I can't pull my kid out of the school and send my kids to a school I want to send them to, that I can't go to the church or synagogue that I want to go to. And if you make that national policy, not just California policy where I can move, but national policy, people are not going to stand for that. They're not going to stand for that. And if you send a truant officer to remove my child, I have two choices at that point, right? If I have no place to move because you've now made this national federal policy, I now have two choices. One is to leave the country utterly. Two is to pick up a gun. Those are the only choices that you have left me. And now people are like, oh, this is ex- how could you say stuff like that? How could you be so extreme? It's not extreme to defend the fundamental rights the Constitution was created in order to protect. These rights pre-exist government. My right to raise my child in my faith is my right. That is a First Amendment right. There is only one reason the government exists, to protect those rights, not invade those rights. It is my right to raise my child with the moral precept that I find to be beneficial for my child. Beto O'Rourke does not get to raise my child. And if he tries, I will meet him at the door with a gun. That is insane.
1: Uh, yikes. I'm at a loss for words on why Neil would feel the need to reach across the aisle for this guy. The Quebec mosque shooter's top visited Twitter page was Ben Shapiro's. Keep in mind. This is well-known information. It's not like he doesn't spout shit like this all the time. Also, Ben's a known transphobe, homophobe, racist, and climate change denier. Does Neil not use Google or what? Why would he want to legitimize and signal boost someone like that? What is happening with these rational bros? Why are they so keen on holding hands with the right, especially in fashy times like these? where the stakes are so high. Sure, it'd be another thing if Neil went on specifically to challenge Shapiro on how dangerous his rhetoric is. But no, he went on for a friendly, casual chit-chat. I really don't get it. Are we trapped in some weird house of mirrors or what? What happened here? I miss when I believed that movement atheism and the skeptic scene was about challenging harmful nonsense, about promoting humanism, about pushing back on the religious right, not playing footsie with it. Oh, and uh, speaking of the religious right, did you guys catch the story where Richard Dawkins promoted a Christian conference to own the libs? (laughs) No, really. This is where we're at. The event he was promoting was put on by a far-right, explicitly evangelical group called Sovereign Nations. One click on the link he himself was promoting so enthusiastically would have shown him that this event began with a Christian prayer service. (laughs) Uh, His tweet is now deleted, probably because he was embarrassed as fuck by it once people started mocking him for it on Twitter pretty mercilessly. And uh, he later put up another tweet with some caveats and clarifications saying how he didn't realize it was a Christian conference, but it was too late. The cringe could not be undone. So I think he deleted that one too. I'm not sure, but I tried looking for a second clarification tweet and could not find it. So... I mean, when you want to hate feminists and lefties so badly that you won't even click the links you're promoting, this is uh, bound to happen. Hashtag rational skeptic. (laughs) Kind of reminds me of when Christina Hoff Summers accidentally went on a Nazi podcast because she was so busy trying so hard to own the libs that she forgot to check who she was even chatting with. Also, since then, one of the speakers at this glorious evangelical event Prominent new atheist who once wrote the foreword for Stefan Molyneux's book. God, it's such a disgusting interconnected web of nastiness in this scene. Um, yeah, so anyway, prominent new atheist Peter Bogosian has since tweeted a hilarious and sad and pathetic face saving article desperately trying to explain how the new atheists and christians should make an alliance to fight the sjw's you know the real evil in society this article i kid you not is titled the unholy alliance between atheists and evangelicals subtitled is social justice a civilizational and eternal threat (laughs) and i mean it's not from the onion can you believe it (laughs) These guys are making satire very, very hard and taking the fun out of mocking them, you know? Because they're mocking themselves all the time. How is anyone supposed to make them look more foolish than they make themselves look? And now we get to Steven Pinker, the guy who loves posing with brain. He's the guy who, around this time last year, framed the mailing of pipe bombs to CNN and to many prominent Democrats, literal assassination attempts of politicians as a minor event. This is the guy who goes around telling people that political correctness and safe spaces are so bad that they're turning people into Nazis, for fuck's sake. So, one more time, just so we understand this dichotomy, according to Pinker, mailing bombs to politicians you disagree with, minor event. Campus SJW's critical of racism and sexism, big, urgent civilizational problem, so bad it's turning people into Nazis. Such an urgent problem, in fact, that it moved him to do a campus tour called the Unsafe Space Tour. So, now, What's the anti-safe space hero been up to lately, you ask? Well, he's been tweeting about how he wants a literal safe space from facts about the world, a.k.a. the news, he tweeted. And I'm paraphrasing only slightly. What is news anyway? Basically, just cherry-picked reports of bad stuff. What you need more of is beautiful news. Happy stuff, you know? And then he plugged a website of totally not cherry-picked reports of happy news. Stories that serve Pinker's everything-is-awesome spin. The intellectual bankruptcy of the skeptics is unbelievable, unbearable. No consistent principles. Such obvious biases while claiming to be objective logic machines. And not just unbelievably hypocritical, but dangerous too. I've said it before, but I can't stress it enough. In the fucking era of the far right trying to discredit news and journalism in general, in the era where the Nazi term Lugan Press has resurfaced, Pinker is also piling on, trying to delegitimize news as a whole because the stories are not all happy. I mean, sure, the news is depressing, and you probably shouldn't spend all your time reading about how things are turning to shit. But no one is obligated to do that. You can and should take breaks from reading about such things. You can even read happy and uplifting stories, and there's so much to be legitimately critical of within mainstream media. But why attempt to discredit the whole thing by saying, psh, what's news anyway? just a bunch of cherry-picked stories. It's pretty shitty, honestly. This simultaneous attempt to discredit educational institutions and journalistic institutions, neither of which are perfect, obviously, but this wholesale, endless mudslinging coming from all over the IDW in Trumpy times, no less. There's something pretty fash about it. In fact, I just heard Ruben the other day say that people are making a sound argument that academia is so infected, it has to collapse. Not the first time I've heard it either. Collapse, for fuck's sake. What do they fucking want? This is, of course, since he doesn't have a single original thought in his head, something he got from Peterson, who once said, we have to shut down entire departments and universities because they've been infected by postmodern neo-Marxism or something departments that include things like English literature. And I think the academy has failed America. Do you
3: think it can come back because this is this is being debated constantly now that that academia now is so rotten that the systems and the gatekeeping is so infected I, there's a lot of people that I think are making a sound argument that it basically just all has to collapse. Of course, what can come on the other side of a collapse could be a lot worse, and that's what we have to, to work read- about.
1: These are the people who go on about being able to tolerate different opinions. If these people had more power, they wouldn't hesitate to silence everything and anything that he even slightly veered outside of what they considered acceptable. Dave, 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 and high-level ideas. He just can't get enough of them. He's also been out there defending Peterson's wonderful suggestion of enforced monogamy, which he suggested in the aftermath of an incel mass murder, let's not forget. So, um, Dave claims that this just means traditional marriage and how it's meant to make us reproduce. Not like anyone's ever been able to reproduce outside of marriage— and not like he's a gay man in an untraditional marriage that won't lead to reproduction or anything.
3: Every time the media would try to sandbag him and try to destroy him, which we saw many times, you guys may remember that one of, one of the biggest moments um, was when the New York Times wrote that piece that Jordan is for enforced monogamy. Remember that? And everyone made it sound like he wants to basically put, make women slaves and we're going to be in the handsmaid tale. Enforced monogamy just means marriage. It's been, if you if you look actually, Eric Weinstein checked on, on the New York Times archives. The only other two references to enforce monogamy are positive references about marriage. That marriage is a fundamental building block for a Western society. It's, it causes us to reproduce and have familial bonds and all of these things.
1: More trad life stuff. Yay. Yay. Dave is the kind of guy that can make you want to poke your own eyeballs out because of the unbelievable unintelligence you're witnessing. In another conversation, I heard Dave and Douglas Murray were talking about the bad gays, you know, the non-right-wing ones, the ones who are trying to destroy Western civilization, apparently, and Murray mentions how basically there are no more dragons to slay, and they're just swinging their blades around in thin air. Guys homophobia is over when will you soy loving live cucks finally get it and move on just like how we don't really need feminism anymore because women can vote now right there's absolutely nothing left to do
3: so then what do we call the gays who are not trying to destroy western civilization and the patriarchy the gays like us or we're just gay that's it that's so boring it's, is okay, there a, yeah, did you come up with gay. a better word come on
0: no i'm sticking with gay on this one uh <laughs> uh, 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 uh. But but it's it's a very important thing to identify. It was always there. It was there at Stonewall onwards. It was there before, indeed. That uh, and it's been and in recent years, there's something very interesting that's happened with the remaining bit of the gay rights uh, uh, sort of groups, which is that they they have become uh, uh, um, vulnerable to what I. I, I I describe as St George in retirement syndrome, you know uh uh Saint George after slaying the dragon and getting the acclaim of slaying the dragon uh staggers around the land looking for ever more dragons to slay and can't find them or find smaller and smaller beasts, and eventually may be found swinging his sword at thin air and um it, it, with the uh with the remainders of for instance the gay press this is what they're doing they wish they'd been at stonewall they wish that they'd been fighting back in the day some of them did but they they get addicted to the the barricade manner.
1: boy these sure are some good people diamond and silk over here sorry i mean reuben and murray um totally acting in good faith, just using the fact that they're gay to promote the idea that there's nothing left to advocate for. And can people just shut up about it already? And the ones that don't shut up are the ones destroying Western civilization. That's all. Nothing to see here, folks. (laughs) And since we touched on everyone's favorite posh racist doing racism with a monocle, Doug Murray there... Let's talk about him for a second. Some of you may have noticed that he's been ever so busy promoting his new book in almost identical-sounding interviews, a book that Harris described as, quote, Reading it to the end, I felt as though I had just drawn my first full breath in years. End quote. (laughs) Such drama queens. My goodness. So Doug's been ranting about the extremely refreshing, super original topic of identity politics. His constant white identity politics, of course, don't count, Um, but this book sure is something. Uh, He sounds upset about the fact that if women can be ultra-sexual in things like music videos in today's day and age, why then can they also complain about sexual abuse and harassment through movements like Me Too? Uh, mm, not quite the gotcha you seem to think it is, there, Dougie. I think he'd quite enjoy Saudi Arabia, actually. <laughs> Every interview I've watched about this book is either called The Dictatorship of Minorities, or it's complaining about gay privilege, or how women have the power to derange men with their sexual sorcery. He was with Candace Owens recently, having a totally normal one on the Totally Credible Creationism-peddling PragerU network. And they talked about how Me Too has gone too far, and how rainbow flags are exhausting to see, and how Candace realized all her problems weren't due to white men, they were because of herself, and how leftism was preventing her from seeing that all along. So, as you can see, some very excellent, incredibly unregressive ideas being spread by the IDW and friends. (laughs) Let's just recap the things we covered here today in no particular order, just very quickly. Number one, white supremacy, totes not a big problem, fringe of the fucking fringe. Number two, women are biologically suited to raising children. Number three, traditional marriage is good because it causes us to reproduce, says man in untraditional marriage. Number three, how to rehabilitate accused sexual predators. Number four, scientists legitimizing extremists, far-right climate-denying bigots. Very cool. Number six, hugging it out with the evangelicals to own the SJWs. Number seven, hating safe spaces but also wanting them from facts about the world Number eight, homophobia is over and minorities wanting rights is tyranny. Number nine, how can you be sexual but also complain about sexual abuse? Ugh, just incredible. And excuse me, how dare you confuse this with old-school conservatism? This I assure you is totally different. Very, very intellectual stuff. These are the amazing ideas the evil left doesn't want you to hear. What, you can't distinguish this from regular right-wing bullshit, you say? That's because your IQ isn't high enough. (laughs) Ah, It's maddening. All right, you lovely postmodern neo-Marxists, I think that brings our horror story session to a close. That was long and painful to gather and collect and subject myself to, but I hope that you enjoyed it because that would make it worthwhile. I've been wanting to sort of gather a bunch of this crap in one place for some time now just to demonstrate the scale of awfulness coming from the IDW. So thanks to my favorite holiday, there was a reason to do so. Uh, I also did this episode as a sort of primer for my next one, which will be a collection of mini interviews and clips from women in Saudi and Pakistan who talk about the IDW having very real negative effects all the way over there too. If you happen to find yourself in that position, don't hesitate to get in touch soon and maybe you could be on the next episode. Religious and sexist bigots are now leaning on these influential figures and the ideas that they're peddling to justify such views in countries where minorities don't even have the basic protections they have here in the West. And gosh, they're doing enough damage here. Imagine the legitimacy they're giving to extreme conservatism over there. I mean, fuck. There was a time the atheist scene used to talk about how even having dormant blasphemy laws in the West was setting a bad example because, though we may not act on them or use them here, countries that do act on them can point to ours and justify keeping theirs. Now, the atheist scene and its adjacent IDW intellectual brain geniuses who are proudly holding hands with evangelicals and creationism promoters are becoming the foundation on which bigots and misogynists around the world can point to and say, But look at this polished Western professor, psychologist, scientist, etc. They say that marriage is for making babies, that women are better suited to raising children. Can men and women even work together? Do feminists crave brutal male domination? Enforced monogamy, hell yeah. Fighting for gay rights and women's rights should only go so far. It's okay to be buddies with religious extremists and on and on and on and on. Ugh. So that's it for today, folks. I'm gonna leave it on this dark note, unfortunately, because these are dark times and real-life horrors. Happy Halloween! Thanks for listening to another episode of Polite Conversations. You can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it, making some noise about it, or contributing via Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No e Ian mangoes. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at nice mangoes. If you want to make a one-time donation instead of a monthly Patreon one, you can do so via PayPal. Nicemangoes.blog at gmail.com. Remember, no Ian e Mangoes. If you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest, you can email me there too.